Welcome to the Storyform Podcast, where we journey together at the intersection of faith and story. I'm your host, Will Chenault, Soul Care Pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Let's get this conversation started. Well, we welcome you today to the Storyform Podcast, and today I have as my special guest, Ryan McElrath or McElrath, either way. We just had a long conversation before this started, and so Ryan is our new student pastor here at Fellowship, and I invited Ryan on the podcast because um, he's new here on our staff. Uh, he's new in our student ministry our student ministry pastor. And so I wanted to give an opportunity just for us to get to know him uh, at a deeper level. So Ryan, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Will, for having me. I appreciate it. Did I get the name right? You did. I mean, you had a 50-50 shot. You named both of them. So that works. Yes. Ryan just gave me a whole um, genealogical history of his, his last name. Before we started recording. That's true. Yes. And it was very informative. Thank you for that, Ryan. You're welcome. Yeah. I hope you remember. I do. I do. Um, So, Ryan, uh, just for those that are listening to this uh, and desire to hear a little bit more about you and your story, um, just let's just start off first with you're from California, lived there your whole life? Yes, sir. Uh, Yeah. So, I was born... Uh, the day the Olympics started in L.A. in 1984. Okay. So just, you know, the torch runner, I guess, ran outside the hospital where I was born on that day. I didn't see him, so um, it's just hearsay from everybody else. But supposedly, the torch runner ran by the day I was born. Uh, but yeah, grew up in the South Bay section of um, Los Angeles and then moved around, moved around as a kid, but stayed local in that Southern California pocket, born, raised, married, had kids. Um, and then I finally was able to move to the great state of Tennessee, yeah, become a Tennessean. Officially. I have yes. my driver's license wow. and my license, license plate. plate. I'm done. California's in the past, baby. Gone. Yes. So tell me a little bit about, um, Ryan, your, your spiritual story. When did you come to faith? So uh, my family was a great example of what it looks like um, to go to church, um, to believe in God's word. My grandfather was a pastor in the South Bay at Normandy Christian Church. Um, him and his, him and my grandma uh, were great, influential people um, in my life. So I always remember going over their house over the weekend, and we would wake up on Saturday and have grandma breakfast. And which was amazing. You have all the things except for the shredded wheat. I mean, that, that killed me, but we had all the things and then they would stop down and they would get out their lists and we would sit there at the breakfast nook and they would pray for about half an hour. Okay. And they would just pray. And so it's just so much great example, um, in my grandparents, um, to, you know, to follow in that kind of tradition and, and attuning myself to the Lord spiritually. Grew up in the church about third grade, I would say I, you know, gave my life to Christ, but it wasn't really until high school when, you know, I had a couple really key small group leaders in my life really pour into me, really kind of shape my theology shaped my relationship with Christ and challenged me in some really critical areas in which I was struggling. Um, I had grown up in church, and so church became routine. Church became something we just did. And, you know, now looking back, realizing so many kids who grow up in the church have more of an opportunity to turn away from God than any other kid. Mm-hmm. Because it just becomes routine and something we just do. So I was challenged with that. So high school, I think it was that critical time when there was so much change, uh, so much pressure uh, to achieve, to succeed, all of this stuff, that Southern California mentality of I got to be the best at everything. Um, otherwise, you're going to fail and not make anything of yourself. That's when Christ really, really found me. Mm-hmm. So that's when you would say you came to faith early on, but really probably came to maturity. Yeah. Made it my own. Yeah. Made it your own in high school. Made it my own in high school. Mm -hmm. 
which, you know, didn't mean that I didn't continue to struggle. I think just right out of high school through college and even into my first year of marriage, I think it was a really big struggle spiritually of where does God fit into my life in this wrestling of control. Mm -hmm. I wanted so much control of my own life and wanted to do what I wanted to do um, and impose my life with everybody else rather than submit. And so it took me a long time and God used my wife as a great sanctification tool to Mm -hmm. be able to humble me and bring me to where I am today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you mentioned growing up in that Southern California culture, elaborate a little bit more on that kind of the drivenness of what was that experience like? Yeah. Southern California culture is unique, but also at the same time, I see it everywhere. It's this, you have to be the number one in your sports program So if that means you have to give yourself over five days a week to become the best, even if you're not going to be the best, you have to still try. You have to get that top scholarship to go to that top school. Same thing with education. Uh, So mine fell more in lines with education than sports. Um, I was good at sports, but I wasn't going to be that good. I think I didn't lie to myself in that regard, but educational wise, push myself very hard, took all of the tough classes because that's what you had to do to be a success. And at the end of high school, had it, did it, took a lot of work, probably ruined some relationships in the process, turned down some good things. And God humbled me through that because there were so many colleges that I had applied to that I was like, this is it. I'm going to make something of myself. And every single one of them denied me Mm. for some reason or the other. Mm -hmm. So God humbled me to say, no, you worked hard, but I have different plans for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was a little while before you actually were able to put that together and see what those plans were. Oh, absolutely. Very upset, very angry. Mm -hmm. You know, this, see, everyone in Southern California would have assumed I was settling to go to a junior college. Oh, look, he settled. He didn't quite make it. He's going to, uh, they call it 13th grade. Mm-hmm. You didn't, you didn't quite get there. So it's, it's kind of a failure, you know, to junior college. Now I preach junior college or I preach, you know, gap year or find a skill that if you don't want to go to college, but you know, that, that drivenness to make myself a success mm-hmm. was so overwhelming at times. And the pressure was so great at times that I think God said no. And I later realized he said no so that he could relieve me of that pressure and point me in the direction that he had me mm-hmm. instead. Mm-hmm. Tell me, when you were in high school, you said you had some key leaders that invested in your life, and that was a real turning point for you. What did that process look like? The process kind of looked like a intentionality with a volunteer core. So when I was when I was in junior high and high school, at the church I was going, there were probably four different youth pastors over the period of my junior high and high school career. And I liked obviously some more than others. And one of them that I really enjoyed was just an intern for a season in which he was given everything, but he had plans to go and be in the mission field. So we knew it was short term. So there's a lot of flux mm-hmm. in in the people that were supposed to be leadership in charge, vision casting, but there was a group of volunteers. They don't get paid. They just love hanging out with junior high and high school students. And there were two of them in particular. Um, one of them was named was Mike. The other one was named Chris. And they walked myself. Um, And a group of my buddies that were in that same grade, they walked with us through the entirety of our student lives there at that church. And so, you know, the first couple of years, it's fun. We're hanging out. We don't really take anything seriously, but we had grown in relationships so much that they were making more of a spiritual impact because they knew us, they knew our struggles, and they were able to call us out on our 
our sin, call us out on our the things that we were doing and really molded and shaped us. And looking back, they didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. They didn't get paid to do that. There was no recognition. They're not brought up on stage or adorned with a robe and a, you know, golden cap or crown. They did it because they said this group of students or this age really needs people to to pour into them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's the beautiful thing. They're not theological scholars. They're not teaching Bible at the local university. Mm-hmm. They're not leading a church. They're people who have a passion for Christ, passion for students, and want to connect those two things. And so they gave up all of that time in their life and really showed us what it looked like. Mm-hmm. And that's really was a part of the journey and the process of you making your faith your own. Absolutely. You grew up in church. You were around it your whole life. Speak a little bit about what you said about it's kind of easy for kids who've grown up in church to it's almost easier for them to just say, nah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, over the last, you know, 11 years of really pouring into students and student ministry, the thing I've seen is, you know, there's this come to Jesus moment for a lost and wayward student, maybe a family, a family doesn't um, go to church Maybe they're invited by a friend. And so they've been living the ways of the world, let's say their entire life. And they haven't even known the, the ways of the world. They don't know about Jesus. And then I've seen so many students, 10th, 11th, 12th grade, they find Jesus and they realize, oh my gosh, this is different. This is amazing. This is exciting. And they are passionately driven for Jesus. The same thing is true flipped. I've seen so many students who've been raised in the church and by the time they get to 10th, 11th, 12th grade, they realize that there is the world and the world is different and we haven't prepared them for what that looks like. And so just as kids who find Jesus turn and give their lives passionately, there's a lot of kids who grow up in the church, just hear stories it's routine. There's no challenge. There's no charge. There's no drive. And they get to 10th, 11th, 12th grade. They realize the world is different and they passionately give themselves over to the world just because it's different. It's something that they've never done before. They've never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to be very careful in that regard. And myself growing up in church, I was one of those kids. Look at that. Look at, there's a world out there. There's a whole list of things that I've never experienced before. I want to go and experience those things because it's new, not because it's better, not because, you know, any of the, I didn't weigh pros and cons. It's just new. So I want to go do the new things. And so that's kind of what I've seen in my life. And that's why I really, really pour myself into that area of students and in, in their lives and their souls to prepare them. There is going to be something new out there but it's not better than what you've already discovered in yeah. here. How did those two guys in your own journey, I mean, you're, you're, you're looking and you're saying the world looks really good right now. I'm tempted to go that way. How did they help you keep from just fully going down that path? I think they, they did a really good job of being intentional. Um, and they were open. These two guys were open about their own mistakes that they had made. They crossed that threshold of, I don't want to appear holier than thou. I actually want to meet these students where they are. And their lives were a testimony to what, you know, we were going through because they had just gone through the same stuff as, you know, as young men. So being able to see their lives as a testimony was really powerful. And at the same time, you know, their words we held on to, most of the time, but then we learned uh, the hard way some of the other times and they would come alongside and they would hold us accountable, but instead of berate us, they would come alongside in love and say, okay, let's continue going forward. Mm-hmm. You know, we've made mistakes, we've done this, but let's continue moving forward. So it was this intentionality, this testimony, but ultimately it was all bathed in relationship, mm-hmm. which is key for students. Mm-hmm. So um, you grew up in church, you... Um, you met these two guys and they're have a huge impact in your life. 
So what was the trajectory like for you to move into ministry? I actually never thought I would go into ministry. I thought, you know, if I volunteered, then that would be that would be good. So graduated graduated high school. I, I looking back now, I was not in the best place to volunteer, but I thought, hey, someone volunteered in my life. I want to step in and volunteer in somebody else's life. So I started volunteering in junior high right after high school because that that's what I did. You know, that's what I wanted to do. But never in my mind did I think, oh, I'm going to, this is going to be my job. This is going to be my calling. I'm going to be that guy who does and organizes and preaches and all that stuff. I'm going to go do my own thing and the trajectory that I want to do. Which was what? Uh, teaching. Okay. Teaching. Hopefully, ultimately, being a professor of some sort um, at a university. Okay. That was a, that was a good dream. I mean, at one point it was Forest Ranger, but in California everything's on fire. So I kind of quickly gave Forest Ranger up, and then we went into we went into teaching. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I was going to be a teacher. I don't want to. I don't want to lead. I don't want to do any of that. I just wanted to volunteer. Um, but even then, it was it was really from a selfish. It was from a selfish perspective because I wanted to volunteer to be a volunteer rather than this self-sacrificing place of being in a student's life in that way. So God brought me along in that way too, because a couple of years volunteering life just took another way. School became the most important. So I dropped volunteering in student ministry when he went to even a different church, uh, started attending a different church and still continued to that, that path of, teaching and all of that. I mean, I graduated with my bachelor's um, in teaching English literature. I was I was going to be that guy. I'm going to teach English literature. I'm going to wear the small glasses. Yeah. I'm going to have the Dead Poet sweet, Society. Yeah. yeah. I want to have the that awesome shirt yeah. with the patches, the patches on the elbow. Yeah. I'm going to be that yes. dude teaching Lord of the Flies and all the symbols of Lord of the Flies yeah. to these students who probably don't care. But... <laughs> That's who I wanted to be. Uh, so I did all of that credential, worked really hard through that. And the my God just said, wait, I'll let you do this for a little while. But ultimately, I have, I have other plans for you. Mm-hmm. But it just took me a long time to see it. Mm-hmm. So that was a more longer road of of unfolding it wasn't a decisive moment that you're teaching and suddenly now you're doing student ministry it was more of an evolution into that it was it was i was teaching um at private i was teaching in a couple private schools i was doing junior high mostly mm-hmm. um you know sixth seventh eighth grade uh, i i was the guy who taught bible so somehow god was like hey i'm gonna align you you're going to already be teaching Bible. You're going to have to be diving in, doing curriculum and all of those types of things, Um, but also teaching math. So the kids loved me half of the day Mm -hmm. and they, they kind of didn't like me the other half of the day because, you know, Hey, John three 16 and then the Pythagorean theorem. Now, I mean, between those two kids would rather do John three 16. So, but, so I did that for a great number of years and then Caden was born. Okay. He's my firstborn. Caden's awesome. He's 12 now. Um, he's a he's a mini me. So, you know, I pray for uh I pray for all the people who are gonna lose to him in all the games. Cause he's like me. He's he's hardcore, he goes hard, um, he's amazing. But he was born and my wife's heart broke every time she had to go to work. Mm-hmm. So my wife worked as a preschool teacher just down just down the street. She walked a minute to work. And every time she had to leave Caden, her heart broke and she felt this strong pulse to stay home. Well, I was teaching private school in California. We made a whole whopping 30 cents an hour teaching private school. Right. So it was it was going to be very difficult. So my dad came over, we looked at our budget and we kind of did all this and said, we will have like a dollar at the end of the month so we can do it. Mm-hmm. And it was that moment, I think, you know, a couple years into marriage, 
God had really humbled me and shaped me that first year. Um, my wife and I had started to grow stronger in our marriage, uh, especially in our faith and being able to see God's provision. I think it was in that moment where we stepped out in faith and God really showed us what our trajectory was going to be because we asked, all right, we have a dollar. Alicia, stay home. Mm-hmm. You don't have to teach anymore. You want to be with Caden. You you have a heart for home. That's a blessing. So you stay home and then, you know, I'll just keep, continue to work hard and we'll just save that $1 every month and just pray that, you know, everything will mm-hmm. will work out and we'll just be good stewards of what God is providing for us. Not a week goes by before the pastor at the church we're attending Oh, he wants to meet for coffee because there's an open junior high director position, just part time, 20 hours a week. And he says, I, you know, what's your heart for junior hires? And because I had a true passion for junior hires, I had a true passion for students as well as teaching. I just poured out my passion for students. And he said, well, would you like, you know, after a while, he said, would you like the job? And in that moment, again, it wasn't about ministry. It was God provided that same, almost that same number annually that my wife was making teaching preschool. And I said, yes. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, I continued teaching full time. So I continued teaching full time for another four years and then did this junior high director part time four years. So I had two jobs going on. But that un, that allowed my wife to stay home with Caden and continued to stay home when Camden was born two and a half years later. And um, from there, my heart for ministry began to grow organically mm-hmm. through this part-time position, which I first saw as just a job so that my wife could stay home. Talk a little bit about that process. What did it look like? How did, how did that begin to grow? I think it was this day-to-day you know, being intentional with students, really they started opening up in their lives and, and watching how, watching how students were drawn to the ministry and watching how I developed in my passion for teaching them God's word, teaching the truth, which I already taught Bible at school, but I saw this as a completely different opportunity to be able to intentionally know them, um, you know, they, they weren't sitting at a desk. We were gathered. We were doing life together. We had, I started to see these students as family as, as these, as my kids and really God opened my eyes, heart, mind, soul to see the beauty in what teaching really looked like. He says, yeah, you are going to be a teacher. You're just not going to be a teacher in the way that you wanted to be at first. Mm -hmm. There's no classroom setting, there's no rule. There's no none of that stuff. Put all of that away and step into just teaching kids truth, mm-hmm. teaching kids God's word. And over the four years, the ministry had grown so much. Um, and I believe that's not just from my passion for students, but also from the volunteers that came and, and flooded these students' lives. And the more volunteers came, the more students started to come more students started to bring their friends because there was a place to go to feel safe, to be loved on and to hear God's word, hear truth um, with a couple crazy games and everything thrown in. And after four years, I felt, okay, Lord, this is good. This is time. You know, and he, and he had to show me on the teaching side, the school and the church uh, where the school was, was going through transition so it seemed like a time in which, all right, I think my time here is done. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to to pour into these students and to have this experience. But I think now my time for ministry has begun. And so I always kind of look at it because I was, you know, Camden was, Camden was born two years in. So I'm older at this point to step into student ministry. I had met so many people that had done the, you know, go to high school, go to Christian undergrad, you come out, 
you know, maybe halfway through Christian undergrad, you become a youth pastor so that you become the college pastor and then, you know, the family pastor and then just kind of climbing the ladder. I equate my experience with, I'm just doing this over here on the side, you know, school, teaching, all of this. And then I just take a perpendicular, just straight shot into ministry, mm-hmm. not having undergrad, not having this, just saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to step into this because you're opening this door and I'm going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so from there, stepped full time into ministry and have not looked back mm-hmm. since. Mm-hmm. It is a blessing mm-hmm. to continue to work with students. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Ryan, I think the thing that I love about you is just, uh, um, you consider yourself, this is your calling. Uh, this is your, this is your passion. This is the field in which you're going to work is, is student ministry. Speak to that process. Just cause as you said, Ryan, it, it, it is something that I think it's actually a, a real detriment, but it's that reality that, okay, we're going to do this and it's the stepping stone. Right. Um, but I think for you, you don't view it as the stepping stone. And I don't, so, so I don't view it as the that. stepping zone. Uh, I mean, uh, the running joke, the running joke is, uh, you know, even it could be 10 years into student ministry and, you know, people are still going to ask you what you want to be when you grow up. Right. (laughs) It's that, it's that realization of, well, you're doing this, but you're going to have your own church someday, which really bothers me. I've actually said to people before, and maybe as people are listening to this, just that that is something that um it basically communicates um okay when you're a junior pastor now so when are you going to go be a real pastor and and i think that is a massive detriment to the calling of somebody who feels called into student work and to be a student worker to be a student pastor um yeah that's a little pet peeve of mine ryan yeah i mean if if that's someone if they feel that that's someone their own calling and yeah, go for it i'm gonna i'm gonna charge you i'm going to applaud you along the way Mm -hmm. if that's what you feel your calling is Uh, on the flip side and you know my calling and my passion is students and you know if god has something for for me down the road Mm -hmm. in the future Mm -hmm. i will follow and i will be i will be led and hopefully walk willingly Mm -hmm. Uh, but now i know i know that it is my calling Mm -hmm. to be with students for a very very long time Mm -hmm. and it's you know as you get it's just like being a parent no one knows how to parent when you have your first child you're holding your newborn in your hands the newborn's crying and in that moment well the mom might have been distinguished the cries in like less than an hour because mom power they can do that right dads i'm just holding the baby i have no idea hungry you know sometimes with the diaper you you figure it out rather quickly Mm -hmm. there's a, a certain odor Mm -hmm, that that helps mm -hmm. you but other than that you have no idea what you're doing even as my kids are now 12 and 9 and 3 oh now four today is colton's birthday he's four today there we go happy birthday colton but even as 12 9 and 4 i'm not i don't consider myself an expert in parenting i'm still learning and growing and so for me to also equate that with being a student pastor the more that I continue to follow this calling, the more I learn about what junior high and high schoolers need, right. what they're going through, uh, the more I can learn how to pour into them intentionality-wise, you know, theologically being able to grasp different things and instill that in them. Mm-hmm. And every year, without fail, I look back and say, I can do this better. Yes. Every year I have said, I need to tweak this i need to change this i need to take them deeper you know even even if i feel this year has been great which every year has been great mm-hmm. i always say i can i can do it better next right. year because i've learned so much yeah. more and the more you mature i mean that actually that's where the seasoning comes in for a student pastor who is uh aged and mature and i mean just the impact and the influence and the opportunity to not only minister to students, but to minister to families is, is incredible. Ryan, tell me a little bit about what were some of the, the challenges within Southern California that, that you faced as a student pastor? What were some of the, 
the environments uh, of the, 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 the challenge that you saw within student culture, uh, obviously, uh, you know, there, there's a great deal that transfers. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so it's not like it's this completely foreign entity, but what were some of the realities within this changing world? My sense is that we tend to see things quicker on the East Coast and the West Coast that then maybe 10 years later start right. moving into the more central areas, the heartland, if you will. Correct. So what did you see in that, that, that were challenges? I think over the last number of years, um, the, the biggest challenge that we faced early on was, I think, a challenge that every youth pastor, church, organization faces and that's the the mass exodus of kids after high school and you know there's all this research and barna does a really great job of you know at one point it you know someone had said 80 percent of 80 percent of believers you know leave right after high school and as I really dove deeper into that, into the reasonings, I, as a student pastor, along with my team, we came with the realization that, yeah, it could be true that 80% numerically might be leaving, but not all of them were believers, not even close. Mm -hmm. So what are we not, what are we not doing or what gaps do we need to fill in what bridges do we need to build to actually get students to have saving faith, to own their faith, to not see it as their parents' faith? You know, it, it could be said that, yes, students are leaving after high school. They're leaving the churches in mass droves. And I agree with that, but I do not agree that they're all believers. Yeah, And that's the one thing we have to realize is there we're missing something between you know, as they're growing up between that and them leaving, not all, not all of them have made their faith their own. And so we decided that's the first challenge that we need to, to really go deeper with. We started, we changed everything we did. We, we, we overturned everything. We stopped. I mean, we never were the church with the fancy, but we stopped with this whole entertainment style of, of youth ministry. Mm -hmm. We're not going to do that. We're going to be real. We're going to dive deep into God's word. We are going to challenge students. We're going to have different worship. We're, we're, our small groups are going to go deeper. We're going to have intentionality. Um, and we had to be prepared for that because we had to be prepared that we will lose students. I think that's the scariest thing when it comes to youth ministry across across the nation, but across the world. The scariest thing is when you change to take students deeper, theologically, relationally, you are going to lose students. Mm -hmm. But the outcome, the betterment, the benefit for the students that say, no, now I'm I want to be committed is so much greater. And it doesn't mean you lose touch with those fringe kids. It doesn't mean you don't continue to to reach out and bring them in. It's that fine balance of outreach versus depth. And that's a that's a difficult difficult challenge. But when we switched everything around to take kids deeper, we saw more of a commitment. We saw more of a longing to see church's family and it's not just i'm in high school and then i leave it's this church or church is family so mm -hmm. many great stories now of kids that because again still the southern california mentality we're still going to be applying all over the nation you know i had kids go to harvard and oregon and oklahoma state and just all over but a majority of them would travel there find a church to get plugged into even before they went off to college. And mm -hmm. so that we saw this dramatic shift, not to say that our church found the perfect answer, mm -hmm. but we realized we got to meet the kids here and now. We can't fix the problem as they're leaving. We need to address 
relationally and spiritually now so that maybe they don't desire to leave Mm -hmm. after high school. That was probably one of the biggest challenges that we faced. Mm -hmm. What else? I mean, the other challenge again was uh, just this, this whole idea of outreach versus depth. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you, you know, the, the, the two extremes can be very detrimental to, to any ministry and not just student ministry. It could be a men's women's. It could be any type of ministry. It's balance of, I want to go. I want to reach the people who are lost. I want to bring them in. Uh, I don't want to scare them with big giant words and, you know, foot washings mm-hmm. right away. You know, we have to, mm-hmm. we have to be able to bring them in to grow them, uh, to, to teach them. Uh, but at the same time, we don't want to just be the holy huddle. We don't want to just circle up and say, okay, we've believed for 10 years. We've reached this milestone. Everyone else, you're not welcome here. Um, and so that that is a very difficult balance to do in youth ministry. Yeah. It's either all fun and games, entertainment, very shallow, into the pool, or so incredibly deep and introverted and holy huddled that you're not letting anybody else in. Yeah. Um, so I think that, I think there are a lot of wins on my part and, um, you know, personally and as a staff that I had around me, I think we had a lot of wins and a lot of losses when it came to that, because I think that's going to be just a continued balance of, you know, what does it look like to take kids deep, but also to be open for the kids that are seeking, um, yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's a great challenge to have. Because and I love the fact that you're willing both. to willing to wrestle through that, willing to say we can't go to one or the other, Mm-mm. but we have to try to hold this tension. We have to, the, you yeah. have to hold the tension. Tension yeah. is everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally don't believe anyone can come to Christ mm-hmm. without realizing that there is a tension between their sin and mm-hmm. wickedness and a need for a savior. Mm -hmm. There needs to be tension Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. in the church. I think tension can have a negative connotation to it, but tension is a good thing. Tension is a good word to have. Um, And so if if we are living in this good tension of being mindful of outreach, mindful of the not yet believing, and mindful of the kids that want to go deeper, Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. And so we started implementing more, not programming, but more pathways. We created a pathway for students. You know, you know, this, this day is more of an outreach day and the kids that are, you know, and then all of a sudden we're stepping into this and, you know, as they go higher and higher on this pathway, it was less program. It was less go to this class, do this thing. Cause students already do all that with school and with sports and, you know, they have to climb the ladder everywhere else. So for us, it was just, Hey, let's just take this next step. Mm-hmm. sort of thing. I think the Southern California, and I don't know what it's like here. I'm still learning everything. I mean, I just started using y'all. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're getting there. getting there. I'm fixing to use y'all yeah. soon. Yeah. Have you eaten grits? Uh, yes, I have. I'm good. Yeah. You're, you're close. I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah. I just, uh, I have to, um, I have to have some, uh, catfish. I was told. Oh yeah. That's my next step. Definitely. Someone told me I have to have catfish. I don't know if this is true or not. So everyone else has to help me out. But the, um, this whole, this whole idea of, of a pathway, uh, was so, was so critical, so critical for students. And it just eased people in the Southern California mentality, um, is I think we changed it to be different than, um, what would be, uh, like a promise keeper or a harvest crusade or, or some big crusade mentality, which is a great, you know, those are amazing things, amazing events, but it's come to Christ, then we'll plug you in and you grow. And I think the plugging in part after you've accepted Christ is very difficult for students. So we, instead of doing this whole one, two, three, we shifted to a a two, one, three. Hey, let's plug you in. Mm -hmm. Two, let's plug you in. Let's build into you relationally. And we found that building into students relationally, knowing them, knowing their lives, knowing their hurts, knowing their blessings, knowing their wins was so critical for them to come to Christ. Mm-hmm. 
So we mm-hmm. did this whole two, one, three. Let's know them. Let's plug them into church. Let's bring them to Christ. And it's not us, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's the spirit mm-hmm. drawing them to Christ mm-hmm. through the power of um, church and family and, and God's word. And then the three, grow. Mm-hmm. Now let's grow. And we found that that model, with lack of a better term, mm-hmm. uh, was so crucial for that balance, that tension That's great. of challenge. I like that a lot. So Ron, you said you're, you're, um, you're a learner, you're, you're, you've hit the ground running here, but you're also uh, going to take time to um, grow more and more uh, accustomed to Fellowship Bible Church. And that's always part of just any sort of staff transition. But tell me, what, what are you most excited about? I am most excited about all of these students. Mm-hmm. I mean, at you know my previous my previous engagement job calling, um, I w- I stepped I stepped out of youth ministry. Uh, I was my heart was torn. I wanted to be in youth ministry. Um, there was an incredible, incredible man of God that was right under me that I knew would make an incredible youth pastor. He is right now an incredible youth pastor, just had his first kid. Mm-hmm. He he's amazing. He's one of my greatest friends. It was, it was his time and I knew it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I stepped into uh, more of a family role. Um, I had a passion. I mean, I always have a passion for kids and students. Uh, they don't put me with elementary kids just because we, I tend to just want to play games, mm-hmm. um, but because mm-hmm. I love them, they're mm-hmm. fun. Mm-hmm. So I stepped into that for about eight months, and those eight months I worked passionately for the Lord. Um, but it was very clear my heart was. I had stepped away from something that my heart truly valued and what God was still calling me to. Mm-hmm. And so for God to miraculously line up all of these, all of these open doors for me to be here at Fellowship Bible Church, to step back into youth ministry. These students are amazing and I cannot wait to continue to learn about their lives, their passions. Um, the other day, one of the students, we were we were taking a field trip to uh, my family. We were taking a field trip because we homeschool, so everything's a field trip. Mm-hmm. So we took a field trip to the Shiloh Battlefield. Yeah, I want to show my students and my my kids. Actually, they're my students because we homeschool. Mm-hmm. I want to show my kids, you know, mm-hmm. where all the people were. I mean, walking through the the cemetery was amazing to see people that had been buried there from the Civil War. But as I was walking through uh, the cemetery down one of the paths, I got a text message, a random text message from one of the students here at Fellowship Bible Church. And all the text message said was, thinking about you and praying for you today. Mm-hmm. And it it brought tears to my eyes in that moment because I knew God had brought me back into a, to a passionate place to where I was going to be able to continue to connect mm-hmm. with students, with their parents, with their lives, and just and just be in that calling that mm-hmm. God had that God had placed in my heart for such a long time. And now, you know, here I am, Western Tennessee, mm-hmm. very excited, finding all the the new and incredible things to do. Mm-hmm. But this church has really cemented itself already in my and my family's life and just how passionate they are about relationship. And that, that just showed me, Nope, I am here for a reason. I'm here because God has brought me here. Um, so that student, uh, she knows who she is. So she is going to be part of that part of my story of, mm-hmm. of starting here and, and learning all about, just the culture of Tennessee and the culture of these students. And I'm really excited mm-hmm. to do that. Well, Ryan, just as a father of um, two teenage daughters and one that will uh, is, is moving in that direction as a teenager, I just um, sitting in the seat where I am right now uh, as a, as a father and really kind of as at middle age, so to say, I see more and more clearly the value, the vision, 
the intentionality, the the strategic purpose of um, student ministry, those crucial years of middle school and high school, those crucial years where things are being developed and solidified, um, those crucial years where one is learning about who God made them to be, navigating through the, you know, the awkwardness that comes with adolescence that we all experience. Absolutely. And the, the absolute need to have, um, someone besides mom and dad, uh, deeply involved in their lives saying the same thing that mom and dad are saying, Mm -hmm. yes, um, is invaluable, uh, sitting where I am sitting right now, and so I, I just um, over the these months that you've been here, just hearing your passion, seeing your passion, knowing that God has called you to this work, uh, this relational ministry where students are known and uh, cared for, and um, providing this space for them to be but also a real rich, intentional depth that is helping them, like your own journey, make their faith their own so that when they do transition out of high school, into college, into adulthood, they've actually caught a vision of God and his kingdom that's more compelling than the world. Absolutely. And um, and I think you're the right man for the job. Well, thank that. you. I mean, sometimes you, uh, and I was told this early on, uh, from one of my mentors who was a youth pastor for, for a very long time. He has a church in, in Huntington Beach, right you know, right mm-hmm. there, close to the beach. Yeah. Um, and he, he told me, you are not going to sometimes see the fruit mm-hmm. of your labor, of your volunteers' labor, you know, whatever it is in student ministries, most of the time until these students are husbands and wives exactly parents of their own kids but it's okay it's okay to not have that immediate recognition you know fruit because that's our job is to you know my job my calling 100% is to come in to be a beautiful supplement to what god has called parents to do i'm not taking I'm not taking the place of any parent. I'm not I'm not going to be that spiritual leader. I'm not going to take that from any parent. That is that is God's gift to parents that they are going to be the spiritual leaders of their home to raise and train their children in the ways of the Lord. But I will come alongside and I will be that supplement mm-hmm. for parents, for families, for students and know that our job is to pour into them so that fruit you know, is growing through their lives. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a great opportunity to mm-hmm. be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And just as we end here, I, I want to just, for those who are listening to this podcast, I want to give a plug too, um, because Ryan, I know that you are always looking for volunteers. You're always looking for those who, especially in a church our size, uh, it has to be, um, yes, you you know students and you are involved in their lives, but you have a team of leaders that are doing that as well. And so just to kind of give um, a, a plug to the need for that and also just to dispel some of the um, maybe some of the misconceptions that to be an effective youth leader, to be an effective small group leader, uh, you've got to be you know, the, the, the cool, um, know everything about their world. And, and that's just such a myth. I I can remember, you know, years ago when I did student ministry, some of our most effective leaders, I think of a man that was in his eighties and his name was Kelso, Kelso Campbell and Kelso loved those kids and he would show up every week and they loved him and he was deeply involved in their lives and he prayed for them and he, checked on them you know at the time that was pre-iphone believe it or not right yeah, look at that. but but he wrote letters he he followed up he made phone calls he was invested in their lives and he had a huge impact yeah to be- and, and he knew nothing about youth culture he knew nothing about what was cool right and yet he he was one of my most effective leaders 
to be an effective leader, you just have to care about students and have an intentionality mm-hmm. to, to be in their lives. Yep. It doesn't matter how much you know about the culture. It doesn't matter. All students truly desire are people who want to walk life with them. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they say it out loud, their innate desire is for them to be seen and known exactly. and affirmed and loved and all of right. these things. And to be a youth leader and to fulfill that desire in them mm-hmm. through the lens of Christ through the lens of scripture. So they're not getting these affirmations from the world, but they're getting them from the people who love and care for them most mm-hmm. um, is truly remarkable. Yeah. So yeah, any, any person, I mean, I have an incredible, incredible team of volunteers mm-hmm. as I continue to get to know them. Mm-hmm. I am just over overjoyed by their passion for students and, you know, having either right out of college or, you know, middle-aged or even, even upper in that upper aged. I'm not going to say old, old's wrong. I'm going to say upper (laughs) aged. It's incredible to watch volunteers of all ages come together and love on these, love on these students. So I already praise all of all the volunteers I already have, Mm -hmm. but I'm always looking Mm -hmm. for people who have a passion for students and are willing to give up this mm-hmm. is like a sacrifice of time energy and effort right. uh, to pour into their lives I, I promise i won't make all of them eat a live goldfish right i've i'm over that i've grown past that in my right. life that was old youth ryan right eating live goldfish um putting a mcdonald's hamburger with milk in a blender and drinking it i'm, I'm past that that's old school. i mean i'll still do it yeah. From time to time, sure. maybe not the live goldfish. Yeah. But I'm I'm past making volunteers do that. How about you just love on the kids and we'll do the crazy stuff on stage? Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I like that. <laughs> well, Ron, I hope that uh people will listen to this and say, I want to get invested and thank you for your investment here already. Um I'm excited to see over these years how God's gonna use you here. And uh thanks for coming on the podcast and getting to know your story a little bit more deep uh, deeply. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Will. Thank you for joining us today on the Storyform podcast. For more information about Fellowship Bible Church in Jackson, you can visit us at fellowshipjackson.com. Join us next time as we enter into the story of others together.